You're listening to Having a Chat on CJRU in Toronto, the show where we take interesting people with interesting taste in music and talk to them about the music that they love. All right, so anybody who listens to this show with any degree of regularity knows that I'm a massive fan of a Manchester band called The Happy Mondays. The Happy Mondays were one of the big three pioneers of the Madchester sound, who would see their influence rippling out around the world for generations to come. For this week's show, we sit down with Gaz Whalen of The Happy Mondays to chat about his favorite music. This is Having a Chat. So let's get this uh, let's get this started. We were just talking about um, this short story that you wrote about your uh, your first night out with uh, with the guys who had become your bandmates, Sean and Paul Ryder, going to uh, the hacienda. And something that I thought was interesting just in the story was the degree to which sort of fashion um, shaped the nature of the band. Uh, you know, it says at one point that uh, you, know, you were in part picked because of the way that you dress. So what does that, what does that in your mind, what does that say about the band that, uh, that the style was so revered? Uh, well, I think, I think we would have got the job anyway. They were just starting a band and Mark Day didn't look, you know, he went to the headphones off. Mark Day wasn't, you know, uh, dressed like what I was at all. Still doesn't. He's been the butt of, you know, many a joke ever since. But he certainly helped. I mean, I bought a drum. I started off as a guitarist, and then I had a bad accent with my arm. <coughs> so um, I played guitar. I just had a drum kit. I never, I never, I never played it. I never used it. So right. I, I didn't. And we did, you know. So I just went. I went down at the meeting, and there was Sean and Paul. A few years older than me, who just looked. I mean, they, they dressed like what we were called Perry Boys in Manchester. Other people, they were called Scallies. In London, they called it Casuals. But they always wore Adidas trainers. They didn't, they wore different shoes and moccasins and suede. It was, it was kind of a bit of a forum, but it was like a, what it was really, it was like a, a modern day, it was mods. It was based on the mod look. Right. Right. I just got forward to a little bit more late seventies, early eighties. You know, right. this is too when the band formed. I was just leaving school, so yeah, it was important. So and that look, we wanted to maintain that look. In fact, we had within two years, even though we were terrible, we had a, uh, London Publishing come up from London, and we were just rehearsing the sort of school in the suburbs, and they actually liked us. And they said, "Right, we're great, but you know, you need to get a gimmick. You know, we've got Culture Club and some other band, Boy George. You need to be an image." And we were like. He said, what do you, would you wear on stage? And we said, well, this. Yeah. I'm just like that. I'm like, no, no, no. And we were adamant. You know, we, we weren't changing. That's what we're going to be like. Right. All right. Well, that's brilliant. Um, so you, you, in the story, you describe um, your first experience going to the Hacienda. And the Hacienda, you know, is, is something that we have, we've talked about at length on this show before. Yeah. Um, and... But I, I was surprised to hear that, you know, or, or to read rather that the, the, the part of the story where you described going to the Hacienda was actually quite brief. You ended up just, you know, going back to, to trip out at, uh, at Sean Ryder's place. But, um, but perhaps could you maybe just for those who haven't read the story, um, tell us 
maybe a little bit about the Hacienda and what it was what it was like for you to sort of uh, have your first night out at such a at such a legendary spot. Right. So clubs in Manchester, there's lots of different types of clubs, different types of music. There'd be clubs with different music in different rooms. But then there was a basic clubs carpeted, very you know seventies, eighties, uh, and this was a kind of and, and violent. You know, England's a violent place. People are just violent people. Clubs even today's violence is prevalent. You know, I don't think I ever went out on a weekend in town without being in the middle, caught up in some sort of violence. It was from the clubs out onto the street every night. It was it's common, still is. It's not mm. a nice thing. That's you know, so one thing I don't miss about England. Uh, and this was kind of this club that was going to be different. Tony Wilson was a TV anchor man, uh, but he, he played the Sex Pistols first. He was a cool guy, you know. He was pretentious. I didn't think he was, but he was. Uh, so he was pretentious, and he opened this Art Nouveau nightclub that was based on you know New York loft clubs. That's where he got the idea from. Right. And it was uh, cold and vacuous, and like something like something from the from the Eastern Bloc. It was cold. It was like a meat packing factory or something. I don't you know. And it had these, you walk through, it was cold, it was all silver and grey and empty. There was no carpet, there was no neon signs, there was no sign outside. There was no, no it didn't resemble a club, it was nothing like a club, you know. It looked, you know uh, and it was awful, you know, the sound was awful. Uh, <laughs> it was empty, it was empty for years, up until the late 80s, up to 86, 87, it was empty. You got a few students would go in. And that was it. The likes of us never went in there. It was students and NSWETs and pretend from South Manchester where the students were. And the, I remember two songs I remember from that night was How uh, Soon Is Now, The Smiths. Right. Which might not even been released for a couple of years after that. So that might have completely got that wrong and it wasn't then. Right. It wasn't that. But I just remember that bouncing off the walls and it just, you know. So maybe, I'm sure that wasn't released in 82. No, this was this been 82, 83, this would have been. Maybe right. 83. So I don't remember as soon as now what year that was released, I don't know. Uh, and uh, Washington DC by Gilscott Aaron. Because he used to play a mixture of hip hop and, and indie music. He was quite bizarre. It was, it was very cold. It wasn't a welcoming place. Strange. Right. And we didn't think we'd get in. We, the likes of us, no, we'd never get in there. It's just for students and, you know, right. arty types or whatever. You know, we were kind of. And they turned more people away than they let in in them days. That's why it was always empty. Right. So, I mean, how, like, how was, what was your introduction to, to Tony Wilson? I mean, obviously you guys were eventually signed to his label. Um, and he, and he is, you know, for fans of your music, he, he is such a legendary figure. Um, what was, you know, but it seems like there was sort of a, a bit of a gap between your first night out at the Hacienda and eventually sort of, Mm. Becoming becoming the Mondays and being on Factory Records. So what? How did that come about? Well, really bizarre. There used to be a, a guy in the centre of Manchester who sold jeans and cards and all these kind of clothes we would buy. Mm -hmm. a Jewish guy called Phil Sachs who'd been the original Northern Soul DJ uh, in the seventies, and he knew his music. Massive folk shredding fan. Had a record collection never seen before. And he was never seen before. Christ and sound like Trump. <laughs> 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 he had a record collection that, you know, I'd never, I've never witnessed. Right. And, uh, and we used to go buying clothes off there and we got friendly with him. And then he said, what do you do to in the band? And he was like, really? Give, give us your tape. And we give him a tape and everyone heard it thought we were rubbish, thought we were like, I mean, we weren't great in them days, you know, but uh, right. he was like, this is amazing. This is fantastic. And we're like, really? He said, this is fantastic. I absolutely love it. And the way you look, it looks, it's just great. There's nothing like this around. 
and he got it. And then, but his best friend growing up was a guy called Mike Pickering, who was the head DJ at the Hacienda. Right. And he brought all the first uh, club nights there. And Mike was A&R man at Factory Records. So he said to Mike, come and watch him. He got us on at the Hacienda one night at this... It wasn't a battle of the bands, that was, a, that was somewhere else. It was just a night, and it was a mad night we, we was on. There was a Czechoslovakian puppeteer, seriously, Czechoslovakian puppeteer, <laughs> reciting poetry in, I don't know if it was Czechoslovakian, some language, and then there was like these, 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 these bands who were like the equivalent to New York's residents with these paper mache heads. It was just bizarre, the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in this like, <laughs> uh, you know, this dark, Gloomy, you know, Manchester's a, you know, Manchester's a shadowless city, you know, it's, it's cloudy all the time, you know, it's built on a marsh. Right. You know, its Roman name, Manchester actually means <laughs> breast shaped hill, you know. <laughs> so, and it, it, so it was kind of, and it, it, and, but Mike Pickering got it straight away. I love him, he said, Tony Wilson would absolutely love it, adore him. They're nothing like anything on factory, which are all winkle pickers, long grey coats, apart from your order, they were over there. But uh, Tony Wilson was from Salford as well, and he saw us, and Tony got it straight away. Tony went, "This is my band," and he and Factory Records kind of looked down the nose at us. You know, they, we weren't the kind of middle class student here. Not saying all bands were, because ACR certainly weren't, but we we're a bit rough around the edges for him. Right. Uh, or so it seemed. You know, none of us came, came from really uh, bad areas or rough areas, but that's what it seemed to them. We were like the football hooligans, you know. Yeah, and uh, but Tony loved it, completely championed it, and he always took up for us. And Tracy Donnelly worked there, so she did. But for the most part, so and Tony got it straight away. He loved it, and he just because he, he, I don't know why he just got it. He just, he just really got it, and he loved and he loves anything like that. He loved controversy, you know. Right, right, yeah. Well, I mean, like the the sort of the the narrative sort of you know largely portrayed by the movie 24 hour party people is that you guys were kind of you know like the wild party boys of the label but that he was always just kind of you know sticking by your side how much of that um movie is accurate i've not seen it i've never seen it i got a uh, got sent the description on me and me and sean decided not to get involved because we were on two left of the and then sean got involved in it <laughs> Right. I, mean, I think it's just a bit tongue in cheek, you know. I mean, but this—I mean, we were the. But other, other bands on the label, other bands were a lot more wild than we were. Right. But we were these young lads who had this look together, like a, you know, like a group, a gang or something. Yeah. And dance music was taken off in this drug ecstasy, and we were—we were going, you know, it was like when we did recorded Bund, we was in the studio recording there. We had one room with music on twenty-four hours a day, and we were in there, you know. And it was, and we were, you know, so it looked so it sounds like they were these. But to, just to digress a little bit, I remember when we were doing Pills and Frills in Los Angeles, we went to see Soul to Soul at the Hollywood Bowl. Right. And we went there and we were seven of us and we were only white people in the audience. So I was looking at us straight away. So we sat there. So we've all taken X again and we're all right. dancing. And the people from the stage are looking up and pointing at us. And the old audience was just turning around looking at us going, who are these? Right. Like, who are I mean, it wasn't, we weren't trying to get attention. Quite the opposite. We just seen that back home, that would be normal. No one would give us a second glance. Right. But there they did, and it was a bit like that at first. In fact, we just looked, we were people that looked like us were around everywhere, they just weren't in the arts, right? Um, so let's um, let's kick into the music. Um, so the way the way the format works, I you know, I'm going to kick things off with uh, with a tune of yours. Um, I'm really interested in your solo project, um, but we're going to play that at the end. Um, but the first the first one that I want to the first the, the the Monday's tune that I picked is Wrote for Luck. 
Um, and the reason why I picked it is because you have this really interesting little video on your Twitter um, sort of explaining how it was it was written at the boardwalk, um, at which again is, is you know, for, for a fan of sort of Manchester music, the boardwalk is another one of these very legendary um, mm. sort of rehearsal spaces. So uh, what could you tell us about sort of the writing of this tune, but also maybe could you shed some light on what it was like working with, uh, with Martin Hannett? I hate this song. I don't you know. It's still it's some sort of Pavlov's dog makes me feel sick. And it's because the boardwalk was just across the road from the Hacienda, literally 500 yards away, down right. a little back street. And we had a 24 hour room there. So instead of going out, going home, if there wasn't any after hours, nights going on, well, there was mostly, we'd go there and crash, just crash in the nursery room, sleep on the floor. It's a dingy right. little room. I think the room, there's that little footage of Oasis, and I think they're in the same room. Brick yeah. walls, damp, no, not very nice. And me and Paul Ryder would come out of the Hacienda about 5 a.m. on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. So we'd just crash there. We'll drive. Paul always had his car. He'd have to drink that. We'll drive tomorrow morning. We get to the nursery room and PD, the keyboard player, is already there. He'd left it. I don't know where he'd been. And he's got his new keyboard and he's playing uh, Two Tries by Frankie Old Charlie. Two tries going. And he's messing around doing that. So Paul picks his bass, so Piper drums up, and we start. Then he starts playing the keyboards, running up that hill by Kate Bush. We're running up the hill, there's the drums, and it goes. So we start doing that with a finger, and it just evolves into. And we did it for about three hours. We wrote to Overlook, kind of recorded it on a bad recording, I left it, forgot about it. And then uh, maybe a month later, we had. <laughs> I think Sean had come in the real room, and him and Paul had an argument. And we all just left and went off. And we left him, left Sean on his own. Right. And he just played the recording, seen it, and put the lyrics to it. And when we came back, he went, oh, we'll put the lyrics to this. That's what we know, we'll do the music first, and he put the lyrics to it later. Right. And he was like, oh, right, this is pretty good. But every time you hear it, it makes you feel sick. And so it's not one of my favourite songs. Uh, but I like the remix versions that are okay. And uh, Martin Annett was <laughs> the most bizarre... He was, he was kind of like a very a Mancunian English uh, uh, Phil Spector. That, that's why I started right. seeing him. And he was like that. It's very eccentric. Uh, completely, but uh, darling, me and Paul Ryder got with him really well. We picked him up the first day of recording. And we picked uh, Paul Ryder drove, drove, drives everywhere because he's the laziest man on the planet. So he always drove. <laughs> picked a high car up, and, and Tony Wilson said, There's a message. Martin Annett said, it doesn't matter what the hire car is, as long as it's not a Ford and it's not red. So when we get to the hire car place, me and Paul Ryder automatically both went, can we get a red Ford? <laughs> so we turn up at his house, he's outside, and he just went, you bastards. Yeah. I'm going to like you two. And we got in and we just got on, and we, were, and we, and we just became friends. The three of us really, really good friends. And Martin and I used to recite Monty Python all the time. You are Monty Python. Right. And, a, and me and he had this really dirty laugh, and he was just, it was funny because... When we went to record Bond in Driffield, we got to the studio and he hadn't been in the studio for a few years, Martin. And it's kind of turning semi-digital. There's a few young engineers there and they're like, excited to work with Anna. And after the first two days, they were like, they called a bit of a meeting after Anna had gone to eat in the pub next door. And what's up? They said, he doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't a clue what's going on. He's, he's, I think he's a bit of a fake. So we went, oh, just bear with him. Give a couple of days. And we thought we'd get him a few more days party. And so, you know, we were concerned about getting any recordings down. Right. After about five days, we walked in and he had these two microphones and a cigarette, but it had to be a certain cigarette smoked halfway down. We were all, 
after a couple four days of welcome to one one at a time I'm like he's a genius absolutely genius right. now he's settled in he's just amazing the things he comes up with and he was he was just funny we used to call him Alf remember that cartoon that kids TV show Alien Life Alf right yeah, like, yeah. I had this long hair and he was like you know we can you knew what we, we said why'd you call me Alf he said look it up his wife told him <laughs> and he had these dark glasses on he loved it he was he was just a, a we, we arrived in this to recall Bund in this this like uh, small uh, farming town in the northeast of England, and uh, it was before pubs were open all day. But then it was market day, so they were open. We got there, Martin hadn't drank for four years, I think. We got there, and the guy said, "Oh, we're not quite in the studio. The pub's next door." We went in, and it was Stella, Stella Artois, and drafting Martin went, "Go on, we'll have a pint." And that, and that was it. Fourteen hours later, we were still in there. So me, Paul, so me, Paul, and Martin just just connected from day one. I loved him, absolutely loved him. He was just a darling. Yeah. Absolutely nut, absolutely bonkers. But that's yeah. all I like, you know, that's but we were no, no I say bonkers, we you know everyone everyone in the world's bonkers, whether they're a lawyer, a solicitor, you know, the a mailman or a musician, everyone's everyone's nuts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you kind of just have to embrace that. But yeah, so this, this is the the Happy Mondays with Rope for Luck on CJRU.
Alrighty, you just heard the Happy Mondays with Rope for Luck, and that was the Think About the Future remix. Uh, we are here having a chat with Gaz Whalen from the Happy Mondays, uh, and I've asked you to pick a few tunes, and, uh, and the first song that, uh, that you picked is Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK. What do you like about this one? What's happening at the moment? Uh, well, I was, I was, I was a kid. I was a bit late to the party for punk because I was too young, and I was in. I'd had a said I'd, I'd been learning classical guitar for three years. Me and my sister. I wasn't very good. She was brilliant. She was very studious. I wasn't. They had a really bad accident, and I shattered, smashed all my elbow. I got mm. kind of rebuilt, but it was really bad. I was in hospital for quite a few months, mm. and they used to play this at night time on the radio. And punk had happened. This punk had happened. This was released in. I think end of 76, 77. So this is up to right. like end of 77, 78 when I got into it, early 78, so it was set late 77. And I just, it's like, I was like, what is this? You know, I've never heard anything like it. I was, it was kind of the first album that someone got me into music. I was like, we used to play a lot of Isaac Hayes and Elvis and all that at home, and my sister had Northern Soul, and you know, my sister, I've got an older sister, she listened to music, so I can't. Well, this was the first time I was like, music for me, something I wanted, and I just, I couldn't, I, I, my parents bought me the album, Never Mind the Bollocks, uh, which, for when I came out of hospital, yeah. Bollocks is a swear word in the UK, I know it's not here, but it is over there, so it's kind of <laughs> a, big, a big deal, you know. Yeah, uh, very bold. Phenomenal. Every song, just the album's phenomenal, they just, they, they just blew my mind, the band, and they still to this day put it on down again, and just, probably one of the greatest frontmen of all time. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, so we, this this song, or not the, not this song specifically, but the Sex Pistols it, it, are, are pretty consistently picked by the guests that we have on this show as just yeah. an enormously influential um, mm. band for them. And and we always we always talk about um, you know the the sort of you know again this legendary gig in Manchester where you know supposedly the buzzcocks were there joy division was there um so what do you see as being the the elements of the sort of offshooting manchester music scene that they took from the sex pistols so like what did the buzzcocks the, the complete attitude of you know being unpretentious being anti rock and roll being uh just just don't care you know just not take it too seriously not take it too seriously just and we like you said before maybe you know people saw us and Saw the ones and said, "Oh, we can do that." That's what the pistols were like. You know, it really resonated in Manchester. Buzzcocks were just with the pistols with these blinding melodies. You know, like, they're almost like the Beatles. Right. First record I ever bought was "I Fall in Love." You know, when I first single, and it completely blew my mind. You know? Yeah, and I think yeah, definitely the attitude of not you know not conforming. Yeah, you no, know, well, definitely. when we was in when we was in we signed to Electra in America, we were doing really well in the states. We we played Madison Square Garden supporting Jane's Addiction, and all the label came. And we were doing a 45 minute spot. Me and Sean had been out and we got back to the hotel. We realized we'd run out of time. We we're like, oh shit, we're on stage in 10 minutes. We had to get a cab down to, couldn't get in. We both ran into the dressing room to apologize to everyone and no one else was there. And no one turned up. So the band eventually turned up. We ended up doing five minutes. And the record company, that's the final straw for him. It was a case of no one cared. And he was like, the record company going, what is it with wow. you? Oasis did a little bit the same, but like, what is it with British bands? You just don't play the game. We're like, well, they go, yeah, but it's business. <laughs> but we didn't, we, didn't, we couldn't, we just didn't see it like that. And it's, it's naive at the same time, but it's, 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 it's kind of the art, artist way of looking at it. And honestly, 
it's changed now because people play the game because they kind of have to, but then they didn't have to, you know. Yeah, and that, because gigs that, are the main source of revenue for people now, right? I mean, well, less so now everything's been shut down, but, but you know, for, a, for several years now, gigs have been the main. Uh, yeah, and you mess about, just get the next band in. So people have to, you know, for young bands, they can't be as rebellious as, you know, so that kind of element, you know, that I've not given a, you know, we've given a toss and that's what the pistol has left for us. And, it, and to this day, there's a, there's a very kind of rebellious streak in, working class in England and I think it's a lack right. of the lack of power because of the, right. the you know the, the the blue nose you know the the one percenters the, the the kind of the, the, the class system so maybe it's yeah. a little you know a little bit rebellious in everything you know they bring a law in and people find a way around it straight away you know yeah they try to stop drinking alcohol on the underground the day after everyone turned up with drinks on the underground right. <laughs> just, we just don't like laws you know yeah uh, and it's quite funny, sometimes it's not, you know, but it, for the most part. And it's that, there's a real, I, I, I punk in everything, you know, I, I, the punk attitude's never left me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, it's a massive, you know. I don't see Green Day as a punk man, they're just some foe, ridiculous, you know. <laughs> you know. But punk's not about music, it was about kind of an attitude, it was Thatcher's Britain, there was a time of, of anger and... Right. Well, it's, so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Green Day and sort of, you know, them not being a punk band because because green day i mean you know it, i was talking about green day with my dad the other day and he said you know no band that appears in like tiger beat teen pop magazines is a punk band um which you know and, and you can have that debate but what was interesting about green day for me is that they like the sex pistols for you were the band where it was like the first band where it felt like it was my thing you know it wasn't just sort of music that i was hearing around the house but from them i you know i was I was always interested in sort of what bands influenced these bands and sort of following that train of influence back. And almost right away when I started listening to Green Day, I started listening to the Buzzcocks. And, uh, and, and so for that reason, you know, just, just the music that Green Day exposed me to, um, you know, I, I will always have a lot of love for them for that. And I, and I feel very fortunate. I got to see the Buzzcocks uh, play a festival in Toronto and it was just brilliant. Like oh, wow. we were, we were up yeah, in the front yeah. row. Then when they released Spiral Scratch, they were the first to put their own record out and everything. You know, they were a true punk ethic. You know, they, they, I mean, there wasn't the big band before the Pistols. The Pistols were into New York Dolls and mm-hmm. Ramones and all that kind of thing. It wasn't I? I don't like them kind of bands, but I like. Uh, well, Bob Dylan was a punk. Bob Dylan was punk. You know, the way his yeah. Archer Stones were. You know, there was lots of you know, Gilles Gerrard was the punk. You know, there was punk. There was punks around. You know, punk yeah. it was around, but not. It wasn't called punk. You know. Right, right. I mean, it's more of an punk, attitude than anything. Diff- English punk is very different than American punk. I mean, English right. punk was about fashion and attitude, and it was kind of sign of the times. The seventies were late seventies were a dark time in the UK. Right. You know, it was a dark time. Yeah, so it was a sign of the times. All right, well, uh, this is Sex Pistols with Anarchy in the UK on CJRU. Yeah. 
You just heard uh, Sex Pistols with Anarchy in the UK. And uh, if you're just joining us, we are here having a chat with Gaz Whalen from the Happy Mondays. And uh, next up, we've got a tune by the specials. We've got Nightclub off their uh, their debut record. Uh, what do you like about the specials? Well, the Pistols are the first band that got me into music. With the, but I was too young. You know, I was a kid and, and I missed the boat. You know, it did, I think they probably even split up. It was before Sid Vicious had died, but they kind of split up. You know, Winterland had happened. So that, I kind of missed the boat. It was, what, it was a generation older than me. It was Sean's generation who were... Uh, the Pistols, but the specials were my generation, my age. You know, so we had the Port Piats, the Suits. You know, right. uh, and it was me and a couple of lads in my classes. A lad two years above me at school called Mark Berry. Bez. He was a... Yeah kind of mod, this mod, mod revival thing happened and the specials, and that was it, and I absolutely, it was the first gig I went to at the Manchester Apollo, and it just blew me away, I was like, there were black and white music mixed together to this, and Jamaican culture is massive in the UK, you know, remember the UK, especially in working class culture, Jamaican music, Irish music, and Indian food and culture, right. and it penetrates everything, 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 the first, I've lived in Australia, uh, here, American. The first thing Brits do when they meet up is, where's the best Indian restaurant? It's the first thing right. they ever ask. It's the first, it is Indian food. It's the first thing they ask. I'm not, just, right. not, I'm not exaggerating. It really, really is. Uh, so, that, so these things kind of hurt the culture. So when they took Jamaican world records and made them into pop tunes, and the, and the style of the fight and this dancing, I'd never seen that. Never like Madness were not my thing. I like Madness as well. They were a great band. But like, specials were my thing. Right. And it was just this look and this two tone, you know. When we, I just, it was the first thing I was 13, and I, had, I had the suit, I had the Moe suit, the tie, I had the Parker, you know, and I, I just loved that. And I just, I was just like, I had the, you know, at school and the side part, and it was everything about being immaculate, the suede shoes, uh, the red socks, and all that kind of thing. It was, and I just loved it. And then the album, like, no matter bollocks, it's just one of the greatest albums ever, ever. And there's a bit of a Canadian connection to it as well. Because, do you know who produced the specials album? Uh, it was uh, Elvis Costello. Yeah. He lives in Vancouver, married to... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, I didn't realize he lives in Vancouver. That's crazy. Yeah, he lives in, he lives in Vancouver and got a place in LA and a place in England, but he lives in Vancouver, yeah. 
Right, wow. He's got his wife's a monkey, didn't he? She's a monkey, Yeah, right? yeah, fair enough. All right, well, this is the specials with Nightclub on CJRU. You just heard the specials with Nightclub. And uh, next up, we've got uh, a great tune by Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, we've got their single, Cutter. What do you like about Echo and the Bunnymen? Uh, I remember on a bus coming back from town when it was kind of a mod. And there was another lad in my gear who was a mod. And he had this album. I said, what's that? He said, it's by a band called Echo and the Bunnymen. So I it wasn't Porcupine. It was the album before that. Maybe I'll get his name again. And he... Uh, I said, what a great name. What they like? He said, oh, it's fantastic. And then I, f- I went to see him and all these lads in Liverpool, all their well-dressed lads and bunch of managed to grow all into him. I was like, oh, yeah. You know, even though there's this other side to because the record of women didn't dress like that. They were like, you know, right. long coats and, you know, dark hair, you know, goths. We weren't goths, but, you know, they weren't goths at all. You know, they were kind of dark. They were all in this kind of camouflage, weird stuff. And I thought, and I just thought, I love the lyrics and the music and the drummer. Peter Francis is a favourite drummer of all time. 
I just thought they were a coolest band. Coolest band. And funny enough, from this song, that's where we get the name, Happy Mondays comes, there's a, there's a middle eight in the song where it breaks down. And he says, and by the happy loss. And we thought he said happy laws, as in L-A-W-S. Right, right, right. So we were called the happy laws for a few, for about a week. And then we said, mm, the bunny men might sue us, so we changed it to happy Mondays. <laughs> so it comes to that song. Well, I love these stories about just how, how bands um, sort of end up with their names. It, 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 it always reminds me of Spinal Tap, of how you know, like they, they, were, they were, you know, the originals, but then there was a group in the East End called the originals, so they changed their names to the regulars. And, and but, so, Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but what, so you mentioned that he's, the, the, the drummer in this group is your favorite drummer. What is it, you know, because I'm a drummer as well, what is it that you look for in a drummer, like what 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 are the the qualities in a drummer that you think make them the I best? I, I don't I don't like. Like I started off playing guitar was my first instrument, but I didn't get the feeling right. back. In my hands. I had the accent when I was eleven. I didn't get the feeling back in my left hand until I was seventeen, eighteen. Right. So I couldn't. I couldn't. So I had to pick an instrument. So I picked drums up. So I could never do rudiments. So I could never. Teach, I just I could play rock and roll. So mm-hmm. I've never got to a gig and watch the drummer. I watch the band. Drums don't. I enjoy drums. I like good. But it's not. I remember seeing Keith Moon and thinking, no, not technical, right. but you know, it was entertaining. It just stopped my things. Music, the bands are my thing. They just happened to drums, happened to the thing that was, you know. When we formed, the Mondays formed, every, everyone wanted to be the bass player. The coolest people, bass players are always the coolest. Really? Well, I guess yeah. that's, you know, if in the tradition of like, you know, you, you grew up watching like Peter Hook and stuff. Um, but uh, just, that's, Sid Vicious, you know, Sid Vicious, Paul McCartney. Right, you know, right. Brian, so, you know, these, you know, uh, James Jameson, all the soul music, you know, it was all based on them bass lines. All them soul, right. souls, soul's a big thing in Manchester, black music and, you know, and, and West Indian culture with reggae, it's all bass. Yeah, well, it's and so funny, I mean, because I, I feel like, you know, and, and this may just be sort of, you know, the, the circles that I grew up in, but, but we would always sort of, you know, make fun of the bass player. It's sort of the easier instrument and stuff like that. So, you know, I... I <laughs> Peter Rook, said, Peter Rook says that in his book. Look, he says that in his book. He was a butt of everyone's joke because he was a bass player. Yeah. By, by the time it came around to us, it was a cool instrument to play. Right. Well, it's so funny. He's a person. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we, my best friend is a bass player and, uh, and we always used to give him shit for it. But, uh, but I'm sure he'll be, he'll be stoked to hear that, uh, at, a, that at one time and place, it no, was, it's okay. I mean, that maybe you, I read it. I read it. Whether you like Sting or not, I love the Police. But so I read it. Right. Sting's autobiography, and he says when he went to learn at school, which he didn't really have, you don't have music lessons in England, but he had, a, he had a guitar teacher, drum teacher, piano teacher, a bass player, and the cool guy was a bass. The bass teacher was a guy who did English literature and poetry and all that. And he was the best dressed. All the girls right. liked him. I want to play bass, and bass was all so it's always you know whether it's uh, the uh, the clash with uh, Paul Simmerman, you know. Bass was a, right. was a cool, you know. Right. He just was. He kind of, but also the, yeah. Drummers, drummers are kind of the goalkeepers, aren't they? Drummers are the goalkeepers. Right. So they're kind of the odd one out in the band. But yeah, you know, the, the most, the, the the most important, and not the most important, the, not the most important. Cause everyone's important, but I mean, they kind of. Every band has to have a good drummer. Every every team, whether it's football, whatever, has to have a good goalkeeper. So you know, it's about yeah. it's an important role. It's not the star role, but it's the important role. But it's the important role. Well, that, that's how I've always uh, tried to look at it, just to you know keep keep myself positive. I never play it. As soon as I walked off stage last Monday, I don't pick a drumstick up until I go back to rehearsal because I played it. You know, <laughs> but, you know, I've got my guitar at hand all the time. You know, I play guitar all day, and I just don't. You know, 
Right. Well, it's, it's interesting just, to, you know, how, I mean, the, the guitar is something that I've always kind of, I, I always preferred the drums, but, uh, but it's just in sort of quarantine um, and lockdown, the guitar and the singing is something I've been trying to do more. I've never had the passion for drums. I do, because I do like playing drums. and it, drum, I love, Nothing gets me more than the beats. I love a great beat groove. I'm not a, you know, I love, I love kind of a great beats. You know, I love, I love all that. And I, I just wish I'd have got, I've got, I've got the passion for it, but I just haven't, you know. I right. do enjoy when I play, I really enjoy it, but I've just not got the passion to practice or it just yeah. never, it just, it just never did. Yeah. I don't know, you know, I it just, just didn't, but apart from Peter Freitas for a little bit, Peter Freitas had me, uh, Right. Peter Freitas, you know, uh, did get me getting into drums. He looked, he looked pretty cool. I don't know, I just kind of, it just, I've just not got a passion for it. I wish he had, because I find it interesting, especially like, I've only recently, for me, since got into jazz music. I've never been a jazz music fan, but I love watching jazz documentaries because the right. musicians fascinate me. The music doesn't, drives me insane. But jazz drumming fascinates me. Oh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, that, that was sort of one of the things for me, um, you know, growing up, I was the, I played drums in the high school jazz band and, and, and jazz was something that I, that I was always surrounded by. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like getting to, you know, the, the, there's lots of really cool jazz clubs in Toronto and, and I, and I always love to just go down and like, and just stare at the drummer because like they, they're mm. fantastic. They're really, that, really that's, see, that's, that's when I would stare at the drummer. That's when I would stare. And I, you know, I've just got into jazz. I did. And I, and I would go and watch it. You know, I like, I've got, as older I've got, I've just, you know, just like I like to, to be engaged rather than entertained. I don't want explosions and jump people jumping about on stage. Right. I want to be engaged. You know what I mean? And so yeah. jazz is kind of doing that. But the big band drumming—it just blows my mind. I went back and had lessons probably twenty years ago just to learn to play jazz to play. You know. Uh, yeah, traditional grip. I, I, the guy was a really old guy. And he, he stopped doing that, and I just couldn't do it. I mean, yeah. I, I killed, but I had to work at it, and it blew my mind how different it was. But it fascinates me. You know, yeah. Buddy Richard, uh, you know, I love watching, you know, and Gene Krupa, I love watching all that kind of stuff. I just love it, you know, Bernard Purdy, yeah. you know, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah, no, they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. <laughs> all right, well, uh, well, this is uh, Echo and the Bunnymen with Cutter on CJRU.
Alrighty, you just heard Cutter by Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, we are here having a chat with Gaz Whalen from the Happy Mondays. Uh, and next up, we're, uh, we're, we're sort of taking a bit of a, a left turn here, going for something a little bit different. We've got What's Going On by, uh, by Marvin Gaye. Uh, what do you like about Marvin Gaye? See, and that, that's, that's the other thing about, uh, like it wouldn't be a left turn for us. It's kind of, no, it'd be normal. You know, when we used to have like cassettes in the van when we first toured, It'd be Marvin Gaye, it'd be reggae, it'd be punk, it'd be even the odd country song, but dare I right. say it. You know, <laughs> probably everything apart from maybe jazz and heavy metal, you know, right across the board, you know, probably not country song, Johnny Cash, you know, or Willie Nelson, right. that's about it. So it's a kind of a mixture, so it's not really a left turn for us, it's not, you know, the record collection would be, I, I've also wanted a band where a band's like, our record collection growing up, Completely, you know, get a bass player who's into reggae. I'm just, you know, drummer right. who's into rock music, uh, jazz, or maybe singer that's into rock, a guitarist that's into funk, and bring them together and see. Most nine times out of ten, it'll be horrendous, but you know, right. one time it will work. And I, and I think I probably work with Ed Zet. And I just Marvin Gaye. I grew up listening to. My dad loved gospel music and soul music. And soul music massive in in Manchester, absolutely massive, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, when I first heard Marvin Gaye, it just, it, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Oh, Spreading was big in our house and, and, and with Phil Sachs and, it was, and Smokey Robinson and we used to know and all that, but I didn't know Marvin Gaye and I just, I was young, I, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then when I read the story about what's going on and he wrote it with two other people, Obi, John, Obi Benson, not Johnson, Obi Benson, which is another guy who was a singer. And he'd been, he'd been assaulted by the police. They say stuff that's going on today. And that's why he wrote it, just out of protest. And, right. uh, and Marvin Gaye is complete nuts as well. Have you seen the documentary when he's in Brussels? No. Have you ever seen that? Oh, no. There's a documentary in the 80s. He's a tour of Europe. He's got a fear of flying. He stays in Brussels. And some guy, some promoter, some like middle-aged, white, overweight right. Belgian guy, says, oh, come and live with me. And he films his documentary. It's on YouTube, put it in about two hours long. I will check it out. It, it's mad. It's, and Marvin Gaye just, I'm going to be a boxer. Besides, going to be a boxer. It's nuts. It's absolutely brilliant. But it's just this Belgian guy in Belgium. It's just weird, but brilliant. It's fantastic. Wow. And I love that. And I just think, I think he's just, when it comes to technical vocalists, I think, you know, there's Marvin Gaye representing soul. Elvis Presley, like it a lot. I love that. I grew up on it. I love Elvis, early Elvis, Elvis stuff. And, you know, uh, early Tina Turner just blows my mind. You know, I can Tina Turner right. just blows my mind. Right. You know, that kind of stuff, I just, it's just incredible. And uh, plus, when I lived in Australia, my oldest son, who's now 18, Kofi, when he was born, in, he was born when he was living in Australia. We went, we had all this hippie stuff in this bath, in this, bath, in this birthing centre, you know. All. Right. We had our, rec- our, our record, our ghetto blaster ready to play. And we had all the albums and we got there in a rush. The baby was wrong way around, we had to go to the hospital. We only had one album and it was, what's going on? My wife was in labour for 16 hours and we had that on repeat for 16 hours, you know. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I hear them opening notes, and that's, I just, I, my heart just crumbles. Every time I hear them opening notes, it just, I get shivers down my spine. So if I can take it back for a bit, I mean, I'm interested in this, you know, you talk about how just the music that you guys as the Mondays would listen to was so diverse and wide ranging. And this is, this is something that I find very fascinating because, you know, we've had a number of guests on the show now who talk about sort of um, 
playing music that kind of exists in a gray area where it's so it's so influenced by so many different genres that it's kind of hard to pin down so i mean i guess like what do you see as being like the biggest genres that influence the sound of the mondays like what's your take on that personally all of them like that that's right. it. i mean i remember doing a panel for a music festival someone asked me i don't know why they'd ask us they said can a band starting out can you ask can you give any advice? I said, yeah, listen to all types of music. You know, right. you, if you need a cover song, don't do a cover of a band you like, do a cover of a country band. When you do it, it'll sound different. Right. You know, that, I think doing, crossing genres, it's, it's a, music's very eclectic. It's a very English thing as well. British right. thing, probably, I should say British. People do listen to all different types of music. I know it's something I've lived in different countries out. It's not like that and it surprises me. And it's probably right. it's a small island with lots of influences, you know. Right, right. Uh, you know, Manchester was the first Tony Wilson says it was the first immigrant say. People just got on with it, you know. And uh, I just, uh, I don't know, I just don't get listening to one genre of music. I, I listen to all sorts and you can switch, completely switch, completely yeah. switch. You know, everyone in the band's the same. All listen to all music across the board, the influences you'll pick up. Like Sex Pistols Pretty Vacant was influenced by the Bee Gees, uh, by ABBA, it's an ABBA song. Right. Knowing Me Knowing You is the Glick, ding, 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 Pretty Vacant. Right. You know, John Lydon's favorite band is the Bee Gees. Yeah. That's really incredible. Like that's, Another Manchester band, and that's where you get, it's true, you, if you just pick bands from your genre, you're just going to be a poor yeah. version of them. Yeah, no, and, 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 I, and I think it is so cool just, you know, I, I've spent some time traveling with, with just different sort of local Toronto bands and just sort of, I'm always so interested in hearing um, what songs they listen to in the van. Um, right. Like, yeah, you know, right. so sort of seeing like, and it's so cool just, the in my view like the best bands are the ones that listen to just such a wide range of genres and that's one of the things that's been oh, so cool about this show is actually just seeing kind of the little bits of influence that people are able to draw from different things so i mean like like we, we had an episode with uh with a guitar player from a um the sort of punk band called swimmers and uh and one of the tunes that he picked was the prelude from the sound of music and yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like it's just brilliant, kind of seeing yeah, how you yeah. can. Oh no! I mean, you look. You look at uh, you know how many how much how many pop songs back has influenced because of his style of music from Beatles on. They do. That's the classical music. It's all in there. You've got you've got to, and it, it, it worms its way. It impregnates your, your your psyche, and you do. It comes out. You've got to. I remember. I remember telling you saw a lot. We used to start with Johnny Carson. He went to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, then there'd be a Bee Gees track, and then it'd be like it might be Cat Stevens. And then it might go to uh, Funkadelic, and then it might go to the Stranglers, and it might go, and it's just all over the place. Right. It was, it I find that more interesting. I find that really yeah. interesting. And the same with bands. I like bands that do different types of music. If it's just one, it's just. It's just very, very boring. I yeah. think so. I, do, I just got a short attention span. So just like, I like the mixture of that. But you're right. Yeah. All the best bands, when you, live, when you read the influence that, it's always eclectic, always. Yeah. The Beatles, the Beatles talk about. Beatles talk about film scores they had to play in Germany. Film scores were big on theirs, and right. uh, and and rock and roll, Elvis and Buddy Holly. But they also thought Motown was their biggest influence. Right. They were oh, when Beatles toured America, all the artists had to support them with artists from Motown, with soul bands. Right. right. Well, I mean, it's it's funny because that that is one of the things that I love the most about about the Mondays is that just the, the sound in each song is so eclectic. Like, you know, you, you call it Madchester because 
to me, Madchester is just the way to describe the, the eclectic nature of the sound. Like it's so hard to pin down as one genre or the other. And, and that's one of my favorite things about, uh, about the Monday sound. The, the city, the, the city of Manchester is like that. It's a bit, it's a bit, uh, you know, so I think Tony said, take Detroit and Berlin, wrap right. them up and throw them in Northern England and you've got Manchester. And that's probably, that's probably very accurate. Right. Right. It's well, got day, you know, it's got a dark, it's got that dark music majority, that dark poetry, black and white, you know, kind of Leonard Cohen, you know, tinged with a love of reggae and soul music and put them together and you get, that's what you get. Yeah, you get something really, really special. Alrighty, well, this is Marvin Gaye with What's Going On on CJRU.
Um, all right, so just before we, uh, so the, the you said you wanted to do a Leonard Cohen album for the Canadian album. Uh, which one? Right. Well, you know what? I've gone. I've gone for controversially. Right. I've gone for a live album because okay because I think it's the album that broke him and introduced him to the world, and it's live at the Isle of Wight, nineteen seventy. Okay. I don't think it's his best songs on there, but it's an album that was so influential and that performance changed Leonard Cohen. And he's right. my complete hero. I'm, I'm completely in awe of Leonard Cohen. Never got right. to see him live. Never got to see him. I'm, I'm completely, as a person, I've read every book about him, listened to him all the time. I right. went to visit his house, his house in Montreal and was completely, yeah. I'd be photographed taken outside and I, you know, like a proper fan, you know, and, I just I love Dylan as well, but I can relate to Leonard Cohen absolutely. Right. So, you know him and him and Cohen, uh, him and Dylan, similar both influenced by, you know, Renaissance poets and even old uh, Roman Empire poets and you know, but especially Lorca with with uh, Cohen, you can see his 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 uh, wordsmith is 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 similar to Lorca, the Spanish poet Federico Lorca, Federico Lorca. Uh, Get his name right, not get the angles wrong. <laughs> Imagine if we had corrected that one. God. Uh, yeah, so I just, I, and the Isle of Wight, you look at it just visually, the band, the women on stage, it looks great, it looks amazing, the performance is stunning. Yeah. He's just the coolest man on the planet. And I, I, he doesn't pretend to be cool, doesn't he? Dylan knows what he's doing when he's acting cool, you know. Yeah. Even though yeah. Dylan's cool, he knows he is. Cohen doesn't. Cohen, I remember Cohen saying I'm a bit more like Woody Allen. I'm clumsy. I'm not clumsy. Least yeah. man, you know, you're a ladies' man. Well, tell me that for the thousand lonely nights I spent alone. You know, right? He, he doesn't pretend. He just is. You know, he just yeah. is. He's just, he just a genius. Level and just an amazing human being. I never met him, and you know, so I, I don't really know. But I know people who have. I know people who serve. I know a guy who worked in a cafe in London. He used to serve him his coffee every morning. Yeah. He'd come back at night, and I said, "Was he like?" He said, "He also had a book. He said he was just a, a gentleman. Just a gentleman." Yeah, yeah, just doing his thing. I mean, and, and it's, it's interesting when I, when I listen to interviews with him, like his insecurity with his own voice. Um, that was something I remember, you know, the CBC was doing uh, a sort of, you know, some coverage of him. Um, I must have been probably like 12 or 13. And I remember just watching him saying, you know, like he still has female backing singers behind him because of his insecurity with his own voice. Just such a, just calm and... Just no, no, Lennon, Lennon hated his own voice. Lots of people, lots, lots of singers do. But yeah, and he, I remember he won. I think he won. Uh, what's the Canadian Awards thing he calls? Not the Junos. Juno. He won a Juno for best male vocalist. And he said, "You know, I can see the irony." I actually think he's got a great voice. I love his voice. Yeah. I actually think he's got an amazing voice. You know, he learned. He learned to be a hypnotist when he was a kid. And that's how he delivers that. Right. He said, you know, you learn as a hypnotist to draw. And then he went to for acting classes when he was in London off this woman. On the step, how to draw people in. So when he talks, he, at the end of the sentence, you notice it. When he talks at the end of the sentence, he gets quieter, so he draws yeah. you in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All righty, well, this is, uh, we're going to play three songs off of uh, Leonard Cohen, Live at the Isle of Wight, uh, right here on CJRU. On the wire, like a drunk in some midnight choir. I have tried in my way I've tried to be free Like the worm on a hook 
Like a night from some old-fashioned book I have saved all my sorrows for thee Let's pick it up a bit If I, if I have been unkind Like a beast with his horn I have torn Everyone who reached out for me Come on, reach out for me But I swear by this song And by all that I have done Darling, 
I'd like to try to read your palm I used to think I was some kind of gypsy boy
your hidden love I'm cold as a new razor And when he knew 
was certain only drowning men could see him he said all men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them oh, but he himself was broken long before the sky would open forsaken almost human he sank beneath your wisdom like a stone come with me now and you want to travel with him you want to travel blind and you think maybe you'll trust him for he's touched your perfect body with his mind Now Suzanne takes your hand She leads you to the river Ah, oh, she's wearing rags and feathers from Salvation Army counters and the sun pours down like honey on Our Lady of the Harbor and she shows you where to look amid the garbage and the flowers there are heroes in the seaweed there are children in the morning they are leaning out for love and they will lean that way forever while Suzanne holds the mirror and you want to travel with him and you want to travel blind and you know she will find you for she's touched your perfect body with her mind. Um, Alrighty, you just heard three tracks off of Leonard Cohen's uh, Live at the Isle of Wight. Uh, we are here having a chat with Gaz Whalen from the uh, from the Happy Mondays, and uh, next up we've got uh, a tune by Stevie Wonder. We've got "Living in the City." What can you tell us about this tune? The drums, drums blew your mind. You know, Stevie Wonder's a phenomenal drummer. He, you know, we, like Marvin Gaye, we both played drums at Motown. Right. You know, Marvin Gaye started off as a drummer at Motown. Stevie Wonder didn't, but he used to play drums on some tracks at Motown. I love Stevie Wonder's drumming. Uh, and it's and this is the epitome. It's you can as soon as you hear it, it's like that's Stevie playing drums. You can Stevie like I know him. Stevie Wonder playing drums. It's just that, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's just that. And there's a fill in it that's just it kind of it, it just blows my mind. I, I, I can never get my head around it. I used to practice and practice and practice it, and I, and I couldn't get my head around it. And I just you know Steve Wonder's. I just everything. I just you know eighties aside, you know I just love every you know everything Steve Wonder's ever done. He's just he's one of them geniuses like Prince or you know. And there's not, I don't think we're going to get him like that anymore. He's just, he's just, he's beyond, beyond words. Some of the, just his performances, his voice, his harmonica playing, his singing, his songwriting, his playing, everything, just phenomenal. Right. And this song I just love, again, a bit political, you know, uh, maybe because my, my, my wife's mixed race and my, my children uh, slightly. Um, right. So I always worry about, about the police and the public's view of, you know, uh, you know, 
becoming more aware of that, being with my wife for 30 years and and uh, and experienced bits of racism, not lots, but little bits. Uh, so I, I can't imagine, you know, I'm white, I can't imagine, but you know, I just, uh, I, the, the bit that was song that gets, you know, everyone from away, it's like, you know, New York City, just as I pictured it, dance games and everything. And, you know, right. that, I can't even say that quote, when he gets the guy in the studio to sing, the janitor to sing, get in that cell, you know, I'm not even going to say the N word, but you know, and all it's just like, wow, honestly, I mean, it breaks right. down, it's like, it's into this dark and it just builds up, it's just stunning. So, Inner Visions is just an album. When we were, recording Pills and Frills in Los Angeles in 99. I had it on Innovisions right. just on loop. I just love the album, just just, just the songs, just the album. And also Grammy winning album is just phenomenal. Yeah, well, I'm, I can't say it any better than that. This is Stevie Wonder with Living for the City on CJRU. She 
That was Stevie Wonder living for the city on CJRU. If you are just joining us, we are here having a chat with Gaz Whalen of the Happy Mondays. And to uh, to wrap up this week's show, uh, Gaz, we're going to play a tune of yours. We're going to play Blind Man and the Junkie. Uh, and the reason why I picked it is actually because the sample that you have in there of the woman who's like trying LSD. Um, oh, we're getting all right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So, like, a, a dear friend of mine who we've also had on the show. He's in this brilliant band called Goodbye Honolulu, um, and he has a uh, he has a solo project called Jay Feelbender that he just put out. And in a number of the songs, he samples the exact same thing. All right. Um, so when I was listening to it, I, I sent it to him and I said, "This is this is the same thing as that you were using, right?" So, so uh, I I loved hearing that, but. Uh, you know, and I also love the the music video. It, it seems like uh, you know you're you're almost in a way sort of paying homage to to Toronto. 
Well, um, I don't know what I'd like to do. You know, I'd seen one new Ganja surfer in uh, in LA, and I did. A, you know, it was a Sunday morning in Toronto, and I, and I thought I had to do a video. And I thought I just want to do a walk around Toronto. I didn't want to do anything in Manchester or because it was like doing mentioning. Well, I was doing Toronto. And I know there's a Toronto thing, and it's a bit cheesy, but most of the people watching it will be from England, so it wouldn't be cheesy to them. I know for, for right. Toronto, and it's like you know, but. Uh, but it, yeah, and he was he was he was all he was all bizarre. It was a tune that I'd done. It was called and my my friend had written the lyrics for it. Uh, I didn't write the lyrics for that. I did the music. I did the lyrics for that song. It was Frank and Johnny was in the last band, and he was he wrote the lyric and it was a uh, uh, blind man and the monkey. And I changed right. the junkie. and I changed it a little bit. But I, the lyrics are his. They're not my lyrics uh, on that song. Uh, and then we did it, and then I just said, it "Sounds like Beck." Everyone said it sounds like Beck, and it was a pure accident. It was a it didn't supposed to sound like Beck, it was a pure accident. And everyone I played to it goes, It sounds like Beck. And I'm like, yeah. when I did it, I was listening to Beck at the time. I didn't, it was pure coincidence, pure coincidence. Right. Well, I, was, I love Beck, Beck, you know, Beck's half Canadian as well. Yes, no, I did know that. I, I, I but I mean, I love, I love the, um, the, the opening riff on it. Um, I, I, I it's, it almost reminds me, um, that, you know, I, I am of the opinion that the Second Coming by the Stone Roses is a brilliant record. It it, it reminds me I of a lot of the. I, I, I prefer that to the first album. I'm right. Funny, I was I got an email off Ian Brown about three days ago, and he was saying his gigs are cancelled all that. And I said, "Are you doing any Roses tunes?" And he said, "Are you doing?" I said, "Yeah, I'm doing enough Second Coming." He's like, "Oh, I don't think so." And I I I, I think it's a better I think it's a better album. I really really yeah. do. It's very yeah. rocky, but I think it's better. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard for me to choose. I mean, I, I definitely love both of them. And I had initially sort of, you know, I, I had heard that the second one wasn't great, that the second one was the one that everyone sort of pushes to the side. But I, I love it, man. Um, it, so, but, but yeah, like the, the opening riff of, of, of this tune reminds me a lot of... Uh, oh, really? Oh, of Love Spreads? Yeah, exactly. You know what? I have never thought that. And as soon as you said that, then it just said, God, it does, yeah. I love yeah. No, the, the riff was nicked from... Uh, there used to be this, this TV show, they used to rerun it. It was a TV show from the 60s. Right. And it was about two girls in a mini, English girls in a mini, driving around Europe, Switzerland and Germany. And there was no dialogue. They used to just play music. And there's these girls who are like, you know, dressed in the 60s. There was all different music. And it was all, there was no dialogue whatsoever. Going to right. towns in Monaco and Switzerland and Germany and France and Saint-Tropez and all that. And very 60s, like The Prisoner. Yeah, and they did reruns in the 80s on at one o'clock in the morning. So right. all those bopeds all those like, we'd, go to sleep, we'd watch it. And there was an, and there was this thing that had like sitars, Indian sitars, and it was like this kind of it was like the bait, it was like this Indian doom, 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 and it just always stuck in the head and I thought, but that'd be great for a rock with down, 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 down. And it just right. it was probably not if I listen back, it's probably not very accurate to what it was, but that's what I got the idea from. But you know what? I never thought about those spreads, but yeah, it, it does it, yeah. So while we're talking about the Stone Roses, I guess I've just got to ask this question mostly just as a fan. What was it like being, and this is this, this may seem like a sort of silly or obvious question, but what was it like being in many ways just at the center of that movement that would go on to have just such broad ripple effects throughout music? It was weird. It was like we didn't, we, we didn't know the Roses that well. All they didn't know the Spiles. We knew Clinton because he'd been around, but we didn't know any spirals. They were from kind of out, outskirts of town. Right. Uh, the Roses were based in south of the city. They were a bit of a, got, kind of different bands early on. 
And there wasn't really any rivalry, but the only thing that they had in common was all the Manchester journalists and radio stations would not play us or the Roses to hate us. Right. They said, wasted the time, amateurs, rubbish. They all wanted these jiggly jangly bands or these, these pop bands that they were. And we all, we couldn't get arrested. We made it big in London first and so did the Roses before Manchester. Right, wow. We get arrested in Manchester. Uh, but we used to see Manny in the Hacienda a, a bit, uh, and Ian, and I used to go, to go watch Man United a couple of times with Ian. Didn't know John, still don't know John to this day. Uh, wow. Rennie is complete, uh, is complete loony. I, like, I love Rennie. I've not seen him for ages. He's completely nuts, brilliant nuts, funny. Yeah. And I, I've never, you know, so me and Rennie would meet up and chat, but I was never really kind of Rennie, uh, Manny and, and Ian were the ones who me and Paul Ryder were close to. The band, we met them and we did Top of the Pops and we kind of, we always got on, you know, always got yeah. on, but we went through different kind of uh, things. But it, it was kind of the eye of the storm, so we didn't really notice it. I remember we did a gig in, in Valencia in Spain in a bullring, an old bullring theatre, amphitheatre. And it got cancelled because the stage collapsed and crushed the drum kit. Looked like the sound check before I got there. But I remember coming out, the gig was cancelled, and all these Spanish kids, all dressed like us, with the haircuts, and I remember thinking, right. wow, but every, like thousands of them, I was just like, wow, that's really strange. Yeah. Wow. And that's when I realized that, oh, you know, these kind of flares of the hair. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, I, I think it's crazy just to see how that, that style is starting to come back. I mean, like, like I said, you know, not a day goes by where I don't get, um, you know, a, a notification on my Facebook of someone, you know, posting a picture of them wearing like a, you know, squeezing themselves into a, a parka with the Paul Weller haircut, uh, you know, taking a selfie okay. in the mirror. <laughs> Yeah, the Weller haircut. Yeah, Weller. Yeah, Weller. In fact, I could have chosen the Weller song. I could have, because Weller's, Weller's probably, especially solo-wise, Weller's probably one of my biggest, probably the greatest single English songwriter in the last of my generation, without a doubt. Yeah. Completely obsessed by Weller. But I think, yeah, I, I, yeah, clothes, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. The fashion, yeah, it's, it's not changed that much. The flared thing's probably good, but that was just a phase. Right. But the haircuts are, well, it's funny because, like, them, them, the, the Rennie hats that Rennie wore, if you look at early photos of the Mondays, I mean, I have a book here, this picture of Bez or Sean, and Paul Ryder used to wear one. Really, really early. Oh, it's not on that picture. There's a picture somewhere. Sorry for the day. Which, were those like, which hats were those? You know the hats that became Rennie hats and kind of bucket hats? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got one. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, that kind of thing. Well, if we've got photos from, from well, I think Sean and Paul, Paul Ryder and Bez wearing them like way years, five years before. Yeah, yeah. No, it's I'm amazing. not saying that, but that's just the way things get picked up, you know. Yeah, no, it it, it just spreads. Um, alrighty, well, you know, we're we're gonna end with uh, we're gonna end with, uh, with with this tune of yours, but uh, but just wanted to say thank you again so much for for coming on the show. It it, uh, it really means a lot. Like I said, you know, you, you, the Mondays are a band that uh, that it, it seems as if almost every episode uh, we we talk about you guys and and we talk about the Manchester. There's lots of myths. There's lots. There's lots of myths, but there's lots of comedy as well. Yeah, I'm sure. But uh, but anyway, thank you very much. And uh, okay. and this is Gaz Whalen with Blind Man and the Junkie. Can't you feel it? This whole room. Everything is in color. And, and I can feel the air. I can, I can see it. I can see all of them. I've never seen such infinite beauty in my life. I wish I could talk in Technicolor. Bonya! <laughs>
Do right every night to remember the name and how. 